At the beginning of the week, many people in Missouri politics thought that Senator Roy Blunt was on his way toward running for a third term in the U.S. Senate. But he threw the state's political universe into a loop when he released a web video saying this. After 14 general election victories, three to county office, seven to the United States House of Representatives, and four statewide elections, I won't be a candidate for re-election to the United States Senate next year. Now a few days after his decision, Blunt is reflecting on his role in Missouri politics and policy and providing advice to his potential successor. The GOP senator speaks with me in this special edition of Politically Speaking. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Rosenbaum, a politics correspondent with St. Louis Public Radio. I got a chance to talk for about 10 minutes with Blunt over the phone about his decision not to run for the U.S. Senate again, his relationship with former President Donald Trump, and whether his colleagues have become too dysfunctional and rigid over policy. When we talked on Friday morning, I first asked him about how he was feeling about his decision not to run, which has prompted scores of GOP officials in Missouri to express interest in the 2022 U.S. Senate contest. How are you feeling three days after this? Are you are you feeling relieved? Are you bewildered by the 10,000 people that want to run for your seat? Are you having second <laughs> thoughts? Like, what? how are you feeling about your decision not to run again? Well, you know, I'm very much not a second thought guy. Uh, I'm a next chapter guy, not a last chapter guy. I feel like it's the right decision. I've been thinking for the last couple of years that depending on we were where we were at this point, uh, I would have been in the Congress uh, starting my 25th year in the Congress, uh, ending my 26th year next year. Uh, that should be enough. Uh, if uh, this was an election where I thought I had to run uh, to hold on to the, the Senate seat for I would probably have done that, but uh, we've, we've got a number of great candidates out there. It's going to be a very good year, I'm convinced, for Republicans in the country. And I, I think in Missouri, uh, I felt like I would have been easily reelected this time. But then you've got to serve. You know, the Senate decision, unlike, is the longest decision in elected office. Uh, you decide about now whether you're going to run or not. Uh, and then when elected, I think people expect you to serve. So it's an eight-year decision. Uh, and um, I, I feel really good about the next two years. Uh, I would feel differently, I think, if I was looking uh, at uh, eight years in the Senate and, frankly, spending my entire uh, 70s in the Senate. Uh, so I feel great about it. I, I feel great about uh, um, where we're going to be. I, I think the Democrats are overreaching, uh, even maybe more dramatically than they did in 2009 and 10. You know, there have only been um, two open Senate seats in the last 30 years, and John Ashcroft ran one, one of them, and I won the other one. Uh, and uh, this creates an opportunity for an open seat in what I think will be 
a good year for Republicans, but maybe more importantly, it creates an opportunity to need to be really focused on the things that um, I've been working on, and I think we've made substantial headway in healthcare research and mental health equity and job preparation and understanding the importance of people being connected uh, to high-speed broadband and 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 I'm looking forward to see what I can do to bring all of that to as much of a forward uh, conclusion uh, as I can so that uh, the work we've started in the last decade in the Senate uh, goes on. I wasn't surprised that Jay Ashcroft decided not to run for your seat. After all, his father was both a U.S. senator and governor, and you would know better than me because you were secretary of state when he was governor. But I think he really enjoyed being governor more than being in the Senate. Did you come to the same conclusion that it was more fulfilling for you to be a statewide executive official than being in Congress for the last 20 plus years? Well, you know, I, I, I have um, I have I've been fortunate in the Congress, uh, you know, in the Senate, I bring the former county official, former statewide elected official, leader in the House, leader in the Senate. Nobody else bring, was able to bring those things to the Senate in the same way. So I've enjoyed the Senate. But when asked the other day what was my favorite job, I said Secretary of State. Now, I, I loved it for a number of reasons. One is I, was, I felt like I was incredibly well prepared to be the first Republican Secretary of State in 52 years. My relationship with my Democrat predecessor, Jim Kirkpatrick, uh, was tremendous. Uh, the uh, ability to make changes when you replace somebody in an executive office that's been there uh, 20 years is pretty dramatic, and we did that in election reform and, and, and how we ran the securities division. We built the State Archives building while I was there, and, and you know, Jason, how much I love the history of, of our state. Uh, the, the Wolfner Library for the Blind, the, the State Library, came into the Secretary of State's office while I was there. And in an executive job, you, you can make a lot of decisions that you don't have to ask very many people about. Uh, of course, that was a time when the legislature was two one Democrats, so when you did have to have uh, a legislative decision uh, made, you needed to understand how how you reached out to the other side and got them involved uh, in uh, that decision as well. And so, God, I appreciated uh, Jay's uh, decision. And with the young family, I wasn't wasn't surprised by it. So I know that you talked with uh, former President Trump, and I think that if I uh, read the other news reports and in your interviews correctly, he actually wanted you to run for another term. Um, and my question for you is the fact that you have this open line of communication with him, maybe it doesn't necessarily influence who he endorses, but could it could you possibly play a role in who he doesn't endorse? And I'm, I'll be direct with you. I'm namely talking about former Governor Greitens here. Well, I'll be direct also. I made a decision that I mentioned Monday that I'm not going to be publicly building up or denigrating uh, candidates. So let's let them sort that out themselves. On the on the, 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 the President Trump front, you know, he and I have a, a unique relationship based on the month or so we spent working together before his inauguration that I chaired. You know, I chaired the inauguration again this time with, with President Biden. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I think we have, we were able to have a a, a more frank friendship than he was able to have with uh, uh, many other people. Uh, we could disagree, and uh, 
uh, and still uh, continue to go out with appreciation for each other. He did call me about three weeks ago and assuming I was going to run, said, I want to do anything I can to help. I'll endorse you any day you want me to and be there anytime you want. And he said, am I still popular in Missouri? And I said, Mr. President, you're, you're still the most popular political figure in our state, and your endorsement would be helpful to uh, to anybody. And uh, then he put out a nice statement on Tuesday uh, when I decided not to run after he called me on Monday to say, well, I guess even I couldn't talk you into doing this one more time. Uh, but, uh, you know, in, in, in our state, that would make a difference in the primary. Having his help would have made the primary easy, and I think it would. I think it's going to be an easy general election for uh, almost any Republican uh, candidate. Uh, again, I think uh, Democrats are overreaching with the bill they just passed. They're going to be overreaching when they try to federalize uh, the election process, which is the next thing coming up, and I'm afraid even the easy effort at infrastructure could could turn into a big environmental package uh, that can't get the kind of bipartisan support that um, I would like to see President Biden uh, work for for uh, infrastructure bill. This will be my last question, and I hope we can delve into this more in depth before you leave office in 2022. But what do you think your your legacy in Missouri politics and policy is going to be? And and I also want you to build on what you said in Springfield about, you know, not being a person that just automatically says no all the time. Was that a sign that, like, Congress is just becoming too dogmatic and ideological, especially your side of the aisle when it comes to actually accomplishing policy goals as opposed to um, just being ideological and checking every box. So I know that's a two-part question, and I know you probably can't fit everything into two minutes, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to both of those things. Well, let me get the second part of that first. This is, there's clearly not an especially my side of the aisle on this. I think both edges of the political parties are very uh, set in, in place right now. Um and uh, frankly, if you look back at what happened in the last four years on regulatory reform, on tax reform, on uh, the border issues, big, significant things happened. The idea that we didn't get much done, I'd argue with that. I wouldn't argue with the idea that we certainly could have done it in, in more bills with more amendments, but that's been a 10-year problem, not a four-year problem. Um, and, uh, you know, my advice to uh, people running for this job is don't spend a lot of time talking about what you won't do. I, I think uh, it was a mistake about uh, about a decade ago when we began to have more and more candidates say, if you elect me, I, I won't settle for anything less than exactly what I want. Uh, in, poli- in, in a democracy, that means you almost never get anything. It, 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 democracy doesn't work that way. The, it's antithetical to democracy to assume that you're always going to get what you want. And in fact, anybody good at this understands, as Ronald Reagan did, that if you can get 80% of what you want, that's a really big victory in a democracy. And the next morning you can come back and start working for the, the 20%. I would say it's a mistake to be out there saying what you'll never do, because frankly, Jason, the day you have to make a decision, I made almost 12,000 of them in the, in the Congress, the day you have to make a decision, 
what you thought some version of what you thought you would never do may be by far the best of the choices available to you that day. That's it for this week's Politically Speaking. You can read more about Blunt's decision not to run and the open seat for the 2022 U.S. Senate seat in Missouri by going to stlpublicradio.org. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>